Salam guys, I'm Mohsin. Welcome to this episode of Millionaire Muslim. Before we get into this episode, we just wanted to spend a few seconds telling you about Islamic Finance Guru or IFG for short. Mohsin and I co-founded IFG in 2015 because we couldn't find content about personal finance and Islamic finance for Muslims like you and I. Nowadays, alhamdulillah, we reach an audience of hundreds of thousands and our goal is to keep providing great content to help you guys. So if you're looking for halal investments and Islamic mortgages or startup funding, check us out at islamicfinanceguru.com. And if you want to get in touch with us directly, you can get me on mohsin at islamicfinanceguru.com and you can get Ibrahim on ibrahim at islamicfinanceguru.com. Enjoy the episode. Looking for a different approach to money? Meet Gatehouse Bank a Sharia-compliant UK bank built for the modern world. We help home buyers to purchase or refinance their home, provide buy-to-let funding for landlords, and offer award-winning savings accounts. Wherever you're going, get there a different way. Get there with Gatehouse. To find out more, visit gatehousebank.com. Assalamu alaikum to both of you and welcome to the IFG podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. With me today, we have uh, Andre and Abdul Malik from Powery and Scalo Technologies. Both of Andre and Abdul Malik are the first people that we've interviewed from the kind of central eastern kind of European area. And you're from both Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan with backgrounds in Russia. And you speak so many languages between you that I think I've kind of I don't have fingers enough to count for the you know, number of languages, but welcome to both of you. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Ibrahim, the pleasure is ours. Thank you very much for inviting us. And for us, it's a great pleasure and honor to, to give an interview on, on your um, new program. No, jazakallah khair, jazakallah khair. And to kind of give our listeners a, a little bit of background into you, I mean, we'll, we'll get into a lot of your a bit later on, but they're going to give you a sense of you know who we're talking to. These guys, they don't necessarily have the facilities and the ease that we have in London, and yet they've ground their way to an incredible business, uh, mashallah, it's I think in the, in the nine figures, and you know, you've done really well, and you know, you've got a lot of really interesting acquisitions now in the pipeline as well. It's fascinating to see what you guys have achieved, but what I'd like to really hear about is how it was like growing up in, you know, the CIS and the post-Soviet era, what was it like for you? Perhaps if we start with Abdul Malik? Yeah, I think I should start with Ibrahim because I'm 10 years older than Andre. And uh, I, I was born in the mid-70s and uh, I was a witness of Soviet Union. And Andre was born also in the Soviet Union, but uh, his childhood was already... Uh, in the computer in, era. In the computer era. And the, <laughs> the Kazakhstan was an independent country. I was born, as, as I said, in Soviet Union. And uh, I had a fantastic uh, childhood, alhamdulillah. Uh, so although we never had any peace, peace and independence, all the video games, but uh, we had a fantastic opportunity to play outside. And uh, we were playing football and other, other the games mainly related to the sport activities. That's how I grew up, and uh, we had to create the toys. For some limitations, to uh, not limitation, it wasn't uh, actually available. All the toys which uh, the kids are playing today, but it gave us fantastic opportunity to communicate, talk with the guys, to try to create some new games, right? And 
Today, I see that lots of kids, they're busy with all the computer games and they look uh, on the world through the computer, which is, uh, of course, it has a computer and the internet has lots of advantages, but I think it kills in, uh, in some extent, it kills the childhood for some people, mm-hmm. for some kids, right? They stay, uh, I see the kids, they stay at home for the hours and days and nights just playing the, the games, which is a bit unusual to how we grew up. Maybe I give opportunity to Andre, he talks about his childhood. Yeah, as my friend Abdul Malik mentioned, you know, I was born in Soviet Union, but uh, in 1991, five years after, you know, uh, the Kazakhstan got independent, and my childhood already was already in the independent country. And as Abdul Malik said, you know, it was already we had in our childhood we had computer games, we started to use internet, and I remember first time I used the internet, you know, the connection was very weak. You have to wait for like 10 or 15 minutes just to connect to the internet, you know, and listen all these beep sounds that make the connection. And I remember we start to play first computer games and share one computer games in all area, in all our districts, you know. It was amazing childhood. And it was, I think, the era where we start first to use the computers and start to intervene in that era, you know. And uh, uh, in the contrast, Ibrahim, we, we're sharing the one football, football ball, uh, soccer ball, between the districts. <laughs> That's crazy. That's the difference. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, how do you compare that with your kids' childhood, actually? That would be interesting. They must have it so much easier. Yeah, I think there are some advantages and disadvantages of what's happening today and uh, in, in the environment which I grew up. But first of all, if you take into the consideration the religion, today the internet gives you so many opportunities to read and to learn and to discover the religion. Although there are some parts and there's some unnecessary information there, but uh, if you're on the, uh, in the right sides, it gives you fantastic opportunities to learn more about Islam and the uh, availability of the books, uh, availability of the source of in- information is so wide, so you can always top up your knowledge, right? When I was young, so we had the uh, limitations with this regard. And uh, the information was coming from one generation to another generation. For example, I learned all the basic of Islam from my grandmother. She was a quite religious uh, woman. And she taught me the first surahs from Quran. And uh, unfortunately, I had no any books at that time. So I had to learn from what our grandparents, for instance, uh, taught us. And uh, you see, that's... I think this advantage, and uh, I mean, disadvantage of that, because the, uh, this type of religion brings a lot of uh, adapt, right? How you say it? Yeah. Adapt, uh, which is uh, like a cultural, uh, cultural things. Yeah, uh, and, uh, you're, I know what you mean. Yeah. Exactly, exactly, right. And I think it was quite a mixture of the adapts and, and the true aspects and the, the rules of the religion which could be the disadvantage as well, right? But if I look at my kids today, so they have a fantastic opportunity to read the, the books, the right books, to, to listen to the right lectures. There are some uh, the, the tutors who can come and teach the Arabic and uh, the surahs from Quran. And, uh, and uh, I think that's more related to the religion. But if you're talking about uh, other parts of the activities, and uh, of course, of course, they also, they, they love to play their computer games. And, uh, but I try to control it. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the first tool I need to, I don't allow them for the kids who are below 18 years old, I don't allow them to play something, uh, any games related to the violence, for instance, right? So, Good job. And uh, we give some time limitations. And I don't want them just to, to be so attached to the computer games. Uh, and uh, in fact, where I encourage them and motivate them to, to do other activities like sports and more. And so. Makes a lot of sense. And Maybe Andre as well, but I know Andre, you're obviously a revert. Perhaps you might not necessarily have as much background on this, but I'd love to hear a bit more about how practicing the you know the people are in Kazakhstan or Uzbekistan uh, compared to you know the places I know like Dubai or Pakistan or the England and the Muslim communities in those places uh, compared to you know Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan. Has are people quite practicing there? Has it always been the case that they're quite practicing? Has things changed? I'd love to hear a bit more about all that side of things. You know, uh, I was born in Kazakhstan, and uh, Kazakhstan is a very multinational country. We have more than 100 nations living in our country, and Kazakhstan was, at the beginning, very tolerant to all the nations that live inside the country. So this tolerance continued in terms of the religion. And uh, in today's time, there is no problem practicing the religion. There is no problem that you have just because of your religion and uh, it's completely open and it's completely free. So we don't have any issue with anything that comes into the religion. So I think that it's, uh, it's a very nice country to practice this. No? I think that's the greatest mercy of Allah. I think that uh, to live in a country where you can, you can easily and freely go to the mosque every Friday and, and everyone, you don't have to hide that you're Muslim or that you're religious and, uh, I think this is great mercy of Allah, and we are quite lucky to live in such an environment. Because uh, I still remember how my grand uh, grandparents were praying, and uh, they couldn't really talk too much about it, and uh, they couldn't go and participate in the Juma prayer. Because that, was that because? Um, pardon my ignorance on this. Is that because of the Soviet Union aspect that people had to kind of? keep quiet a bit about the religion or what was the reason? Exactly. We never had any strict regulation in terms of uh, we sometimes uh, people have a wrong view about it. They think there was some spies there and then the people were coming home and control. It's not it's not actually the truth. Right? So you could pray at home. You could fast. You can follow most of the pillars of Islam. Only, of course, the, the difficult part was the Hajj. Right? But uh, in reality, is uh, the religion wasn't, uh, it was something like uh, you could do, but the, no one inspired you or motivate you, motivated you. As I remember when I was a small boy at school, so we had so much, uh, so many lessons about Darwinism. We we're talking about uh, the, the teachers would try to explain us there is a, uh, that. Uh, that the religion is just uh, some some sort of the side effect of the old days and of people's uneducation, uh, uneducational uh, behavior and etc. Right, so it should be uh, more in line with the progress, you know. And some I don't want to even repeat what they were being mm. taught us, right? And then you come back home and your grandmother is talking completely different stories, right? But Allah is always if He wants to put you on the right path, so He will always keep you on that right on that path, right? And the, and of course, uh, I grew up based on what parents 
so he taught me and I think it was the right way and uh, because the worship is not only the praying and fasting and going to, to the Hajj, the worship is the attitude to your parents, uh, attitude to your neighbors, uh, they look after the orphans, right, and how to respect the people and how to respect elderly people, that's also the part of the worship. And that base which we have acquired when we're young, right, and help us a lot for in our future life. Definitely. And Andre, I'd like to ask you now about the you being an entrepreneur from your youth. And then maybe I'll come back to Malika after that. You mean the entrepreneurship during our childhood and student age? Exactly. You know, uh, you know I remember uh, when I was a kid in the school, I was uh, buying the bicycles and I was tuning them and I was selling the bicycles. So this was the first the trial of my entrepreneurship. Then I remember when like I was uh, in the year of 10 or 11 of our school, uh, me and my classmates, we, we started to have a washing car business, you know, and we did the washing car because at that time, washing car was not that popular on the commercial part, you know, in, in, in our area. So this is how we start the first uh, steps in our entrepreneurship. And then I traveled to Moscow and I studied five years of university there. So, you know, I was always curious to do something, to create something, to work, you know, just to try something and to utilize the time most efficient out of the education. Was it the case that everyone was doing that or was it that you, know, you particularly were interested in this area and maybe other people weren't? No, it's, uh, you know, actually in uh, 1991, when the country became independent, the business and the entrepreneurship start to race in the country. And we could see a lot of people who changed their jobs. They start to be a traders. They start to own their own business. So it's actually where the industry of the business came into the country. And uh, I wouldn't say that all the children in the school were curious about doing business or something. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I just, I think it's, from my blood, from my behavior. So I started to do something because the shops were open. There were a lot of variety of the goods that you want to buy. And so you need to earn some money. No, definitely, definitely. And Abdul Malik, I can see in your eyes that you were an entrepreneur from the start. So I'd love to hear your stories. <laughs> Thank you, Ibrahim. But uh, it's true. I started to work when I was uh, like 14 or 15. And uh, during that time, it was still part of Soviet Union. But was already more or less uh, some sort of transition period when the, where the, you could start to produce something uh, uh, where you could open your entrepreneurial uh, abilities. As a result, when I was young, so we were first uh, people who were ex imported, sorry, the popcorn machines, and some ice cream making machine, and that was a uh, it was a crazy brain because we were making the ice cream out of the baby food powder, right? So it was, well, fantastic taste, but it was a scarcity. But you know, the scarcity always brings so many business opportunities, right? And mm -hmm. we always had the scarcity in the former Soviet Union, right? With, uh, with uh, especially with the, with the products like ice creams and uh, some popcorn was completely new product and that uh, the people start to watch more international movies they see that uh, popcorn and, and it was completely new taste and we wanted to use that opportunity to make some money we are not talking about some, some huge huge money but uh, it was quite sufficient for me alhamdulillah during that time and uh, the most important i stopped uh, getting money from my father which made me so, so proud but also i think the positive lesson i learned from the one not the lesson actually 
the positive things of being entrepreneurial when you're young, it was always give us possibility to be in trends and to understand where the market goes, you know, where you can, what is more uh, demandable and etc. I agree. I agree. I think you like, you know, as an entrepreneur, you, because you have, you're trying to optimize for something, you're trying to find an angle, you're always looking at the world in a way that it means that you absorb a lot more information. If someone walks into a coffee shop who isn't an entrepreneur, they just see a coffee shop. But, you know, if you guys walk into a coffee shop, you're like, okay, there's 20 people here. It's about 12 p.m. You can work out roughly what the take is for that coffee shop. And you're like, okay, and this coffee shop has five different chains. So that means it's got roughly this kind of turnover. I could buy this for X amount of money. I know you don't probably do that every time you walk into a coffee shop. But the point is you can. No, but, you know, which is true, Ibrahim. My father was always joking, saying that when you go to the toilet, you don't really just do your job in the toilet. You look at the toilet paper probably... And the thinking, so how much, how what is the trends of this uh, toilet paper? Whether I should produce a toilet paper as well? So that that's emphasize uh, what you said just before, right? So you're absolutely right. And I think it's very important in our case to be in a trend, to see that whether the what is the trend in the businesses, right? Because uh, you know the world is changing so rapidly these days, Ibrahim. Yeah. And we see some rapid changes and we see some tremendous changes. But look at the statistics, for example, right? The people, they start to learn subject in year one at university. And by the time they graduate university, that subject is not relevant anymore. Mm. Many jobs uh, which are quite popular, quite demanded now, they, were not exist- they weren't existing uh, 15 years ago, as, as example. Absolutely. And therefore, it's very important. It's very important to be in line with the trends and uh, of, uh, of international business. So, I mean, this is probably a nice point to talk about your background because you were in a completely different field, the powery before. You were both working in the mining field. And I'd love to hear a bit more about your experiences there. From an outsider's perspective, people always think mining, is it, you know, is it a lot about luck? Is it sometimes, you know, as corrupt as it, you know, the films make out the mining to be? What was it like working in this fascinating field? Yeah, it's just more, more, more about your experience, I think, because you're a guru in mining. No, I'm not. A, I'm not a guru. I just had some, uh, some, some experience in this field. So, I graduated uh, University of Essex in Colchester, and I moved to Kazakhstan in year 2000, and uh, I started my career as a in the Actubis plant of Ferrawas. And uh, I was actually, uh, my first few months, I was uh, just, uh, I, I worked as a steel maker. I was, uh, I was producing the, the ferricom next to the furnace. And then I had organic growth within the, within the group. I started to be responsible for the commercial activities. Then I, after a certain time, I moved to Luxembourg. I was looking for some, uh, some logistical, uh, after the logistics of the company, then I moved to, uh, to the commercial part, my latest position was uh, was responsible for uh, sales and marketing and the logistics of a big mining company. The mining uh, was always interesting. It's still a quite profitable business. Uh, of course, it depends. It depends. Uh, as long as you're on the right cost curve, as long as you produce what the market needs and have uh, great uh, the, the future, then uh, I think is uh, the mining will be always. Uh, interesting business right because so far the people haven't uh, 
found any substitution to the to the steel, for example, or to the copper, right? And if you look at infrastructure projects all over the world, especially in China, we see that and the, the the demand is still there. And I also was lucky because uh, I was witness of the phenomenal growth of China, which was mm-hmm. exceeded ten percent. And I lived I lived in China during that time. I moved wow. to China in the year two thousand three, and I lived for many years. And uh, I was one of the major suppliers of raw materials into China. And uh, I give example, uh, we were one of the major producers of iron ore, which is a major uh, product to produce uh, steel. And, uh, the cheapest price for the iron ore concentrate I saw it was like $15. And the highest price I saw it was like $200, right? So I've seen uh, lots of fluctuation in the market. I've, I've seen a couple of financial crises, right? Give me lots of experience and uh, uh, in this field. The important thing about uh, the commodities, I learned many lessons from that. And even today, uh, although we do, we're in a different sector of the business, but all this experience which we have got previously, mm-hmm. is, uh, it's, it's quite valuable now. We bring in the value to businesses, what we do today, based on our experience uh, we, we had uh, during our classical mining time. Yeah. And when you're talking about corruption in the, in the mining sector, uh, Ibrahim, I can't really answer for the whole uh, commodity world, right? Uh, but all I'm saying is uh, uh, the company I work for uh, has some uh, some regulations for the compliance department, for some KYC procedures. All these uh, regulations were in place and uh, we were, f- were feeling that. Again, I cannot tell you what's happening in the rest of the world, but uh, some information which, which we're talking about, right? About, I think it was uh, some of the more exaggerated what you see in the movies. Right? Yeah, it probably makes sense. We actually, my co founder and I, we used to own a stock in, I think it was a gold miner, potentially in Kazakhstan, Camel, uh, Central Asia Mining Limited, I think it was called. Or Central Asia Metals, I think. Um, yes, I know this company. Yeah, so uh, we did quite well out of it. So we're not complaining at all. Andre, I'd like to come to you at this point and hear about you and your story into Islam because you weren't born a Muslim, right? And you became a Muslim. So I'd love to hear about how that came about. Yeah, you know, uh, when I was a student, uh, first year of my student uh, time, I started to read about the religions, you know, and I, I had some questions where I wanted to answer and uh, I started to, to read the books about different religions and uh, I found out all the answers that I need and that I had in Islam and uh, within the first year of my university I converted to Islam. It was a very nice and beautiful time and memories and uh, from that time I started to read more about Islam and as you know Islam has a huge huge knowledge bank you know and you always want to gain something more and it's limitless so uh, and i think that islam answers all the questions uh, that i had so this is the story alhamdulillah because you were in russia at the time right for your university were there many muslims in uh, moscow or yeah yeah the, there are a lot of muslim the, the muslim community in moscow is very big and the muslim community in, uh, in our university was also very big and i had some friends who we pray together who were fast together the classmates that were still uh, even work together in our company from the student age and uh, the community the muslim community was very good and we had like 
uh, very nice times during Ramadan. The, the mosque were open. We could pray tarawih there. So it was amazing student age, you know. I can imagine. I can imagine. It's, I mean, honestly, it's just fascinating to talk to you guys because it's like a, when you live in the West, have no sense of what it's like in, you know, Russia and that kind of So most of the time when I talk to you know, people who I interview, I tend to know a lot about them and their backgrounds and where they grew up and all that sort of thing. But for me, this is, uh, it's fascinating here to hear from you guys and you know, your experiences. I actually think, the was it the World Cup that was held in Russia recently or the... Yes, yeah, it was World Cup in 2018. And, and I think that really opened a lot of people's eyes to Russia because you think it's just all going to be grey and there's going to be like, you know, soldiers walking around. Yes, walking on the street with a drunk man. So no, it's, it's, it's all these untrue myths. But yeah, it's, quite... it's just like it's a very modern, it was really interesting to see. I'd love to actually hear from you guys about how you two came to meet because you've been business partners for many years now and I'd love to hear how that came about. In addition to what uh, Andre said, for Allah it's so easy to open the heart, whether you're in Africa, you're in, uh, in, uh, in Russia. And uh, Alhamdulillah, Andre he was blessed and uh, Allah opened his heart and you know, the important thing is right. So he read lots about different religions and he truly understood uh, what is Islam is and uh, that is true religion. And uh, I think he's got a bit different approach to that because some of the, we came from Muslim families, right? And many people came from there. And some of the pillars of Islam we, we see when we're from our childhood, right? And we accept accepted a bit differently, right? If I look at my kids today, wake them up in the morning, they wake up and they, they go for the Fajr prayer. And they, I see that they accept the, 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 the prayer a bit different. And Andre, when he, is a, he returned to it, we call it, we never say he converted, we say he returned to Islam, right? When he returned to Islam, he understand what is the, uh, to wake up in the, for the Fajr is the mercy of Allah, right? And if he wakes up and he accepts as a mercy and he's a, and the way he prays, I see that's a bit different, right? To many of us. And I think this, when I see it, I'm really proud of that. I, I always uh, think, about I always uh, say, Alhamdulillah, that, uh, that uh, he put him on the right path, he opened the, the heart, and uh, and also his, um, his parents, they also they, they returned to Islam, his grandparents, and Allah made him under his reason for his, uh, his parents and grandparents and relatives to come back to Islam. And with regards to a question how we came together, I remember the words of a great uh, scholar, Ibn Malik Ibn Dinar, who says, people like birds. So the crows, eagles were the eagles, and the parrots were the parrots. And uh, Allah, he brought our hearts together, and we first of all love each other for the sake of Allah, and uh, we are complete and the value of our friendship with the fear of Allah. And that was uh, the major reason, because uh, when I met Andre, I saw uh, he's, a, he's a true Muslim. And uh, I, I, you know, sometimes you come to the point when you start to choose the partners, right? And uh, you really try to you choose the partners whom you enjoy to work and you have the same mentality, the way of uh, looking on the world and etc. Unfortunately, our third partner is not here, but we have a great uh, partner. His name is Rashid. Right? He's a 
he was busy and uh, sorry he was he was traveling so he couldn't participate he's also a very close partner and allah brought us together our first meeting actually was in uh, in mecca during the ramadan yes. yeah yeah we were doing the pilgrimage here how it was it it was, it, it was umrah right? yeah it was umrah yeah during ramadan yeah so how, how did that come about? You uh, happened to be in Mecca at the time? and Because we had a common friend. We had a common friend and uh, he brought us together. So, and since that, uh, alhamdulillah, we worked together with close friends, brothers. We have lots of trust. That's very important. I think when you partner and you're afraid of Allah, and uh, it will stop you to do some uh, some bad things and you can trust each other, you know, for it. And uh, you don't have any doubt of what your partner is doing, whether he's doing something else or he's uh, stealing or, or the money or something. So this, it's Islam brought not only our hearts together, but it also, it's Allah gave us the barakat also, alhamdulillah, because of, uh, of, uh, of our belief and uh, our faith. No, it's the chemistry that helps, you know, exactly. support, uh, exactly. create the values. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Because I, with... Um, my co-founder Mohsin, I've known him since 20, well, I think I've known him longer than his wife and <laughs> see him more often than his wife, I'm sure. So, yeah, you, you need that because they say that most entrepreneurship kind of relationships last longer than a marriage. You need to have that long-term kind of perspective. And if there isn't that trust, then you're, there's always that 10, 20% of your mind that's kind of has to be occupied by you know this other kind of underlying tension. So when that isn't there, then you do so much better in terms of the output. So you know I really hear you on what you're saying. You know I think that the, the proper partnership and the, the proper brotherhood is, is a, one of the biggest mercy of our God because you know when you have a good chemistry with the partnership, you always perform the best in that partnership and you always perform the best in the company or the values that you are creating. So I think it's a huge mercy. You come to work with, with a lot of happiness. Definitely. And, and look, this is the next question I've been very excited to ask you about. Where did the idea of a power come about? And, you know, this was like a, a rocket ship that just took off. Tell us the, you know, the power story. Maybe if I start with uh, Abdul Malik, love to hear the story. Uh Unfortunately, we have a very limited time. Otherwise, I would. Uh, I think it would take uh, hours and hours, right? Because it's a very interesting topic. As I told you, it's very important to see the trends and to see the, how the world is developing. And uh, we all know that the oil played a very important role in the previous industrial revolution. And, uh, and these days, we see the new industrial revolution. And the electricity plays a very important uh, role in that. And uh, all the visions of our business are heavily dependent on electricity. And uh, we look at the many different places in the world to see uh, where we should build our data centers. And we have the certain criteria we look at. And we found that Kazakhstan is quite an attractive place is, uh, because of a number of factors. It's a very secure place. There is international law. And regulations uh, to work there. The Kazakhstan is one of the uh, world cheapest energy producer, and uh, Kazakhstan is one of the most developed countries in the post CIS. And uh, in 2017, we met with a group of uh, businessmen from Germany. 
Now they are our close partners and we have a few businesses together. Right? And those guys, I call them as a blockchain evangelists, so, uh, super efficient blockchain. And uh, we met them, we discussed some opportunities, and uh, we, we joined to look at a different place in the world. We brought them to Kazakhstan as well. They, they, they also love the country. And we start to build our data centers in, in, in Kazakhstan. And uh, each of us will bring a certain value into our business. And, uh, for us, since I came from the commodity world, the products which to produce today, whether it's based on HPC or, or it's uh, digital assets, so we have the same logic as we apply to the commodities and raw materials, right? But first of all, we were, our strength was to build up the virtually vertically integrated company, and we are hungry where we achieve And the uh, important things to be always on the lowest part of the cost curve, because uh, when you see that uh, everybody dying, you want to be the la- die last, right? Mm. And uh, also, we, the businesses which we involve, they have a ability to create from one business and another business, like, for example, artificial intelligence, right? We bought us the company that the last year which specialized on the uh, on robocalls. And uh, initially, the company was, uh, the major focus was to substitute the call centers because uh, the robots were much more efficient and the conversion rate was uh, more, much higher than human being. But based on that platform, we created a new product, which, which was based on incoming calls, right? So we, we now we substitute the secretaries, we substitute the... Uh, some, uh, we, we, we create a virtual agency, simply say. The next stage was that uh, we start to produce uh, the products based on uh, biometric voice recognition. All I'm saying is one platform, one strong platform, it gives us uh, so many different varieties of opportunities to produce more and more, more products. That's why we like this thing. And we're so keen and we, we love AI. And we think the AI also plays an important role in the industrial revolution, right? And uh, as an example, the 85% of the respondents uh, which has been asked by the, some organization, they confirm that they use AI with knowing or without knowing that. And we see AI in every part of our, our lives these days. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, and, uh, I'm just thinking about the last deals that we've done at IFGWC, which is our angel syndicate. And each of them are AI related. One is creating, you know, putting artificial intelligence and machine learning into human sciences. Another one is bringing it into industrial kitchens. Another one is applying it to uh, learning about potential leads for enterprise sales. There's actually no four. All of the last four have been AI. I hear you on that. We weren't even necessarily looking for it. And it just seems to keep on happening. And it seems to be eating the world. Yeah, do you know, I think the biggest driver for the business is necessity, Ibrahim. Mm-hmm. Is necessity. You remember the story about the first stethoscope, which has been invented by uh, René Lenny in uh, 1816. You remember the guy, he was a doctor, and uh, he rolled up the paper and put it to the woman's uh, chest in order to hear the... the, the not uh, Maybe it's long, I don't, I, I don't know what was actual uh, actual motivation, but he just... Uh, he didn't want his ear to touch the wooden dress, and that's why he, he put the roll of the paper. That's how the stethoscope has been uh, invented. It was okay. a necessity. And mm-hmm. uh, today, uh, we see the necessity of the AI uh, products. 
because AI is um, such a popular, such a necessary product. So you see it every in every aspect of our life, in every part of our life. If you look at the our devices, right, there is a face recognition is also based on AI. It's uh, it's also the the word recognitions when when we type and the, the iPhone shows uh, they, they uh, try to match the, the words. It's also based on the AI, and uh, I think it's a great future. And as a result, if you look at the 2014 uh, investment made into the AI, it was like a $400,000, right? So if you look at forecast by year 2025, the, we forecast that $60 billion will be the investment in that sector. I'd like to maybe, maybe Andre, if you could tell us a bit more about, you know, the powery story with Bitcoin. Um, as I understand, that was the thing that kind of really kicked all of this all, whole thing off. I'd love to hear that. As Abdul Malik mentioned in 2017, we met our German partners who were blockchain evangelists and who already were quite a long time in the blockchain industry and they came to us and we started to have uh, meetings with them where they explain us the, the blockchain technology, they explain us the digital currencies and uh, you know at that time, 2017, the end of 2017 and the beginning of 2018, it was a huge hype in the blockchain and cryptocurrency, everybody was discussing. And uh, we wanted to be a part of that industry. They wanted to bring some some good, fair products in that industry. So we, we discussed among us uh, with Abdul Malik and our other partners that how we can create the value in that industry. And uh, as Abdul Malik mentioned before, that he was from the commodity part of the world and he said that it's important to be the most efficient cost producer of digital assets and that we need to, to control our costs. And this is how we start to build our data centers. And, the, you know, I think that we have a tremendous uh, journey within three years. We built three huge data centers and we're one of the biggest players now in that industry. And I think it was a combination of the good uh, vision of our partners, of the good technology know-how from our German partners and the good execution team from the our local partners and local team and when the combination of all of that bring us to the power today what we have Ibrahim, the, you see the the important thing is a value as andre said the value which we bring to the companies we buy and to business what we do because uh, we never invest in a company if we don't bring the value Having the, the good uh, the IT guys or having the good CEO of the company is not enough. If we don't bring the value, we don't invest. It's very important, right? And therefore, if you look at the powery and our investment approach, we have a more IT holding approach compared in contrast of a VC, VC funds approach. Because you know, Ibrahim, how the VC funds work. They invest into the many companies and they don't really look for the majority of the shares. They don't need the control of the company. Uh, you invest in a uh, hundred different companies, right? And if 10 or five or 10 of them are successful, it covers all the losses related to the, to the 90 companies, right? We have a bit different uh, approach. So we have a very strong team. We have a strong analyst. We have a strong commercial guys. We have strong legal guys. And uh, our job is to find the right company, to analyze the company, to understand that they're doing the right product and to bring the value. Because if we're 100% honest about it, so many of the guys we talk, they're quite bright guys, very smart guys, but they're not a businessman. They created beautiful products, but they don't know how to scale it up and bring it on the international market. That's our role, is to bring our value. So our value is uh, 
to scale it up, to bring it outside of, uh, if it's in CIS, or bring it outside of CIS, to inject some money in order to grow the business and uh, to use our network and our relationship with many other companies, right? To bring the, the, the business to scale up and bring the business to the, to the different level. And uh, this kind of approach we have uh, when we invest into the companies. Makes a lot of sense. And what would you say, conscious of the time, so I want to turn to the, you know, the last few things that I wanted to get you know, from you, which was, what do you think are your biggest business and entrepreneurship lessons from your various businesses to date? If you were looking back and speaking to 14-year-old Abdul Malik or you know, 10-year-old Andre, what would you say to them, you know, the top two, three things for business that you would maybe recommend to them? I wouldn't say there is like one business lesson that you had during your old business journey. I think every lesson in a certain part of the time and in a certain time of your journey is very important. But I think main things that I would like to focus on is that uh, the person today should be very aligned with the new technologies, with the new development. Because as we discussed before about the AI, it's all come to the KPI, right? To the efficiency of the people, to the efficiency of the business. And today, how we can uh, raise the TFP of the company, the total factor productivity of the people and the team and the company, is uh, to implement the proper IT technology services and tools to make it more efficient, yes? So, for example, even if we discussed about our kids, that today there is a huge access to all the activities, to all the knowledges, to the books and everything, but you need to prioritize it. You know, you need to put the priorities because otherwise it's too much to do. And I think that uh, one of the lessons is that you have to be aligned with the technology and uh, with the trends among in the world. And the second biggest lesson, I think, is that you need to do the execution because you can talk a lot. But uh, when it comes to the execution, you need to create the right team because there will be many barriers during your execution uh, journey. People will say, no, it's not possible. No, it's not in this company. No, it's not in this country, you know, and uh, how people succeed. If they do the execution, if they deliver the result, if they create the proper team, if they can distribute the task to the team accordingly, you know, this is, I think, main lessons during our business journeys. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I fully agree with what Andre says, but maybe I would add some, some few comments. I think the first of all is important is uh, to believe in Allah and to believe that everything what we receive is all the risks comes from Allah. It's very important, right? And therefore, there are a few things which we need to follow. I'm talking about now from the out, out of business, right? You have to be honest, honest with your partners, and that's what we we will follow. You don't have to breach the, the norms, religious norms, right? Which is very important. This is fundamental. And I think to what Andre said, I fully agree to all the points, but I think you should also do not to be afraid to fail. Hmm. You know, without trying, you won't reach the result. You remember this famous movie with um, with Jack Nicholson? I think the English name was uh, "The Flying Over the Cook." Uh, oh, yeah. Cook flying over the cuckoo net. Uh, yeah, yeah. Remember this? Uh, it's a very famous movie. And remember the guy when in this mud house he tried to separate the sink, and he says to the, to, to the guys, "I'm going to separate the sink out of the wall, and I will throw it through the window." Remember. And the, the guys, the other guys, no, you'll never. Of course, you couldn't. And everybody will laugh at him. He says, at least I tried. 
And that's a fundamental uh, thing in the business, at least I try. Because sometimes we don't do, because we're afraid to do, we think it's, uh, we take more pessimistic view on that, right? That could be the fundamental mistake, especially when it comes to the VC technologies, uh, to the VC world, right? And therefore, it is important to find the right company, right business, but to make the right analysis. But sometimes you have to try. Take a risk. Exactly. Yeah, I hear you on that. I I mean, this is what we do in the angel syndicate on the VC investing side of things. And uh, it's always that fine line, isn't it? Because you're always trying to press that boundary. You don't want to go too far. And you don't want to kind of go too near either. You want to just, it just needs to be just right. You know, it's always a question whether you, you need a, the, the bigger brain or bigger balls. <laughs> you understand what I mean? Because you see, sometimes you see such a smart guys, yeah, extremely smart guys, but they're afraid to make a decision. They're afraid to go further. Mm. And sometimes if you analyze most of the successful guys, they're not so smart, but they were brave enough to make a decisions. Yeah, very true. Very true. And guys, I'd like to ask you, if you were to go back and do one thing differently, what would you change? What would you do differently? What would you uh, improve on? I think I will, I will allow Abdul Malik to answer this question because he's older than me. And, uh, yeah, I experience. think, think that I wouldn't change my past because what's happened, it has been predestined for me. It's, it's, that's... Uh, the pen already uh, separated and the, the ink's already dried up. So I can't really change. I can't change and I wouldn't change anything. I'm very happy and uh, I'm very thankful to Allah to what's happening. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. And Andre, you know, you've said a few times that Abdul Malik's older than you. I was recently reading a hadith and I didn't, I didn't realize it. But in the hadith, uh, two people came to him. And it was a hadith related to something else. It was like a, a legal dispute about, I think it was, you know, maybe blood money or something. But he said to one person uh, who started speaking, he said, let the other person speak because he's older than you. And that's what and the teacher was telling me that, you know, this is from where we derive that other of letting the elder person speak. It's not just a custom, it's actually uh, from the sunnah that you prioritize the older person. So I thought I'd, I'd share that with you. It's very nice to see. Thank you very much. And I think, you know, the good manners today is one of the biggest assets. Definitely, definitely. And final question for you guys is, what does the future hold for you both um, and Powery and Scalo? Where are you guys going to be headed in five, ten years' time? Let's follow the hadith. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, let me try to answer the question. As you know, our three major business lines uh, digital assets, of, uh, HPC, high-performance computing, and uh, AI. We still believe into the three business lines, and we want to purely focus on those business lines. We don't want to lose the focus and to move too far away from these directions, right? HPC, inshallah, has a fantastic future. If you look at the, what's happening with the data today, data is a, is a new oil, is a very, it's quite popular to see these days, right? If you, if you see today at the 80% of the data is not utilized simply because uh, the world needs more computing power. And uh, uh, I can give you some also some interesting facts with this regards, right? But that's what we believe. And uh, we're expanding our activities, whether it's IAS, infrastructure, software service. We are moving in those directions. 
And the second one is uh, AI. I think the AI plays an extremely important uh, uh, role and has also inshallah a great future. And of course, the digital assets. So, and uh, we don't want to lose uh, this focus, and uh, we want to. Uh, and we see ourselves in the next few years as one of the strongest uh, IT holdings on the global arena, inshallah. Inshallah, inshallah. Well, may Allah subhanahu wa help you in achieving that. And my, from my side, you know, for Islamic finance, has always been that we need to make Muslims as a community better off financially. That's it has so much impact, not you know just on your pockets, but also the wider community and the influence and the impact that it can have. So you know the fact that you know you guys are in that position and also that you have that ambition. I think is alhamdulillah it's something to be thankful for um, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because not everyone has that and I think that's great and you know any way that we can support you mainly I think I think through dua we will do that thank you very much Ibrahim no it's been a pleasure and jazakallah to both of you for making time and maybe in a few years time we can have you back on and hear about how he has got to and scale has got to and I'm sure inshallah it will go to greater heights. So Jazakallah khair. Inshallah. Thank you very much for your invitation again. It was a great pleasure to see you. Absolutely. Assalamu alaikum brother. If you got this far, you must have enjoyed the podcast, which means you'll definitely love our other episodes and other content we produce as well, inshallah. Be sure to check out the website, islamicfinanceguru.com, as well as our YouTube channel and social media. Until next time, assalamu alaikum.